Matthew 14, verse 34 through 36. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all that surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick, and they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were cured. That's my son. (laughs) Go ahead, have a seat. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. It's a day, it seems like there's just a celebration in the air as we've gathered to, not just for the new year, but we've come to hear from you, Lord. We've come to this place because you are in this place. You never leave us, you never forsake us, and your spirit is with us. And so we've come to worship you, now we've come to hear from you. We want your word to do a work in our hearts to really change our lives. We might be made more into the image of your son, Jesus. And so we give this time to you. Touch my lips, Lord, to speak your truth and love. This is your time. So rule and reign, we pray, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're looking at that first verse, there's a... It says that they came to land at Gennesaret and that they crossed over. And if you haven't been with us for a couple weeks, you might not really understand, like, what's going on. What are they crossing over? And where is this Gennesaret? Because that's not like Riverside or Norco. It's not really in my normal everyday vocabulary of a place that you cross over. And so here's the three verses. If you're not familiar, we're going to be in the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Almost every verse that I give you will be up on the screen because we're going to do a lot of flipping through the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, all throughout. So all the verses will be up here. So you don't have to really worry about tracking. You can just track up here with me. Okay. But first, I want you to track geographically where we're at. And so I'm going to show this on the screen to you. And you should recognize this. This is us. We are here in Corona. And I put it, if you can't tell, there's the the circle, if you will, that makes Corona the crown. Uh, That's the circle. That's grand. Okay, I'm going to take it away and you'll still see it's there. So I'm going to take a map. I'm going to take us up out of Corona. I'm going to spin the globe and I'm going to bring us down to Gennesaret. Does that make sense? So follow me here. We're going to zoom out a little bit. Here's that circle still, just so you know where you're at. And that's where you are. That's right off of river, right off of Maine. You're in that little red. That's living truth right there in the map, okay? So now we zoom out a little bit more and out a little bit more. You begin to see now some of the other cities around there. A little bit more. Well, you've got now Huntington and Long Beach. You start to see LA and San Bernardino, Riverside. Zoom out a little bit more, Temecula, and it's just bigger and bigger. And now you have to start to see a little bit of the coast. Here's the best coast, west coast, sorry. There we go. And you start to see um, Mexico just below us there. As I zoom out a little bit more, you can see how we fit in on the west with the rest of the United States. Start to see a little bit of, here we are now as a, as a continent. The United States in the middle, Canada above us, Mexico below us. And now that globe begins to turn a little bit. Because you've got to travel east. Some would say you've got to go far east. Here you go. You pass the Atlantic Ocean. And as soon as you get from you know, the Florida coast there, the east coast, you start going east, you hit another continent. This is the African continent. And I put some of the um, country names there. And if you take away the country names, and you look at just as a continent, it looks a lot like this. This is just the earth. And as you get past the African continent, just to the right there, it looks like a little boot. That's the Arabian Peninsula. And we're going to be looking in that area today. There's actually a body of water called the Red Sea 
that's between Africa and the Arabian Peninsula. And that body of water to me has always looked like one thing. And if you've been with us on Wednesdays looking at this, it looks just like a slug. There's no getting around it that the Red Sea looks just like the slug. Like you can't miss it now that you see it, right? And where we're going to go, if you think the slug has two antenna, we're going to be looking at the right antenna. We're going to follow that right antenna up. The red dot, now I put it there. We're going to zoom back into now. This is Gennesaret. The body of water that you see at the bottom there, it's not labeled. That's the Dead Sea. Maybe you've heard of that before. The body of water that's got the red dot on it, that is, in fact, Gennesaret. We're going to keep zooming in and zooming in, and there we see it. And now I'm going to take off the geographical feature, the topographical features, the mountains and things. I'm going to give you just a regular map, but right in its place, okay? So the regular map looks just like this. And maybe some of these names you've seen before. You've got Capernaum, you've got Bethsaida, you've got Chorazin, Tiberias. Some of these places you see just Galilee, the region that is Galilee. That'd be like saying the Inland Empire, right? You have your Coronas and your Norcos and your Eastvales, and now you have your Galilee. That would be the Inland Empire. And we're looking right here, if you didn't find Gennesaret, that little red dot right there. And when in that first verse we're looking at, it says that they crossed over, they crossed over the Sea of Galilee. They could have crossed over from any number of places, but it's likely perhaps they came over from this, the city of Bethsaida up here. And if you're wondering in terms like, you can't really tell here, how big is this sea? What's, what's really going on there? Know that, here's some dimensions for you. It's about seven miles across the short way and 13 miles across the long way. So what does that look like? Well, I've got some pictures for you. It looks like this. It's gorgeous. And yes, you can see across. You're like, you wonder, hey, can you see across 7 or 13 miles? Um, I looked. The, you know where Catalina Islands are? You stand over at Long Beach or LA or any place you can see Catalina. Catalina is about 20 miles off. And so if you think about that, you can see Catalina, and it's 20 miles away. Seeing across this would be a fraction of that, about a third or a half the distance of Catalina Island. So yeah, it's pretty clear. If you had a buddy on the other side with a flashlight strong enough, you could probably do some Morse code things. It'd be pretty neat. It's a freshwater lake. So yeah, you could try jump in and start drinking it, I guess. I wouldn't do that, but it's just gorgeous. This is the last picture, I think. Oh, just come on. I feel like if this was Southern California, you'd just have houses on both cliffs everywhere, and, and we'd all love it. It would be great. But they've kept the pristine beauty there. And this spot now, this is give or take a mile within the spot of Capernaum. Uh, sorry, of Gennesaret. This is Gennesaret right here. So this is where it says the boat landed, and they crossed to Gennesaret. This could be the actual spot of Gennesaret where they crossed. And I just love that the photo had a hammock there. It's like, yeah, you could just be right there. But that's what it looked like. When they saw the boat come on shore, it would have been right here, okay? So again, everything takes place in the Sea of Galilee. You also hear it called the Sea of Gennesaret at one point. Um, if you were in the town, you would basically claim that sea. So at some points in the Bible, it's called the Sea of Gennesaret, or it's called the Sea of Tiberias. It's whichever city you were in, you're like, that's my sea. I own that sea. Um, but we just call it the sea nowadays, the Sea of uh, Galilee to, for us. And here again, we're right there. So when I read this first verse, everything should be really clear for you. And we're going to go through it line by line. And it says now, verse 34, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. Right? Make sense? 
All right, we're tracking. All right, and that boat will look just like this. Nathan, appreciate your help with the graphics. Thank you so much. He's always my graphics guy. He's like, I have nothing to do with that. It's terrible. Um, verse 35, we pick it up there. And we're looking at just 34 through 36. So 35, we're halfway there. Keep with me. It said, when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into all that surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick. But now you get a couple of verbs that are interesting. It says they recognized him. Recognized means that they must have seen him at some point in the past. And at some point in the past that it wasn't like yesterday or a few days prior. Because if you saw someone yesterday, it's not like, hey, I recognize you. It's more like you saw somebody maybe up to a year ago. And you're like, hey, I recognize you. Yeah, weren't you the guy? Not only do they recognize him, it's kind of cool. They also are now going to bring to him all that were sick. So something about a recognition of who he is says, hey, that's Jesus. Instead of like going up to him and shaking his hand and being like, hey, great to see you again. Give him a hug. They're like, that's Jesus. Quick, let's go get some sick people. So it's interesting. You have to wonder what about their previous encounter with Jesus makes them have that reaction. And we're going to dig into that. It, it comes from Luke chapter 5. And this Luke chapter 5 is going to be Jesus' initial recruiting of his disciples. You're going to see him right here meet Simon, called Peter. He's got a brother named Andrew. They're fishing partners in the same boat. And they've got a set of partners who have their own boat. That's James and John, the sons of Debedee. So he's going to recruit in this passage four of his 12 disciples. And so we're going to read it here. It says, now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, now this is Jesus, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And this is about, if you want to know the timeline between Luke 5 and where we are in Matthew 14, it's about a year earlier, anywhere from nine months to a year prior, okay? So he's standing there at the lake of Gennesaret. Again, they're calling it that lake because they're in that city. And he saw, Jesus saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I'll do as you say and let down the nets. So here they had just come off of a day's work. They had just finished, the, and, and you know, ever have a day's work which just went lousy, all the work for nothing? They had set up the nets, done all the fishing, and they caught nothing. And now they're at that point where you have the seaweed in the net, the barnacles in the net, the holes in the net. You've got to mend that after a day's work. So like, look, long day work, nothing to show for it, no food, caught nothing. And Jesus is like, hey, just, 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 just do that again. And they're like, okay. You ever have kids that are like, okay, I'll do the dishes, or okay, I'll take the trash out. It's literally that attitude from him right now. Verse 6, it says, When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come over and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats. So they began even to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Debedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. 
From now on, you'll be catching men. He says, you're going to be fishers of men. And verse 11, it says, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now watch this. The very next verse, verse 12, it says, while he was in one of the cities, so he was still in that area, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. Leprosy, if you don't know, it's just, I've got no pictures for that. Don't worry. It's, it's, it's a gruesome sight. It's, it's, a, it's a terrible disease where your body basically rots from the outside. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and said, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. And watch this. But then the news about him was spreading even further, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So a year prior, he's in the area, calls the disciples, heals a leper, which no one else was even wanting to go touch him with a 10-foot pole type of thing. They were keeping far from him. This leper gets healed, and then a bunch of other people gets healed. And after this, Jesus begins on his ministry. He goes to the other cities, Capernaum. He goes to the Decapolis, which is the other side of the sea. He goes to Bethsaida, and we've read about those in other chapters. But he goes over there, and this is now when we pick it up, he's coming back. And so now when it says they recognized him, that's the guy who healed the leper. That's the guy who healed my mom. That's the guy who healed me. That's the guy who healed you. Hey, we've still got some sick people. Let's bring them out. Interesting side note. If you look at that text closely in verse 35, you have to ask, who is it that brought the sick? We're going to touch on this now and really expand on it at the very end. But I want you to look at who brought the sick because often the sick couldn't bring themselves. Many times they were just too sick to get to Jesus on their own. I remember once I had my daughter who had a fever and she was just curled up in bed and just shivering and, and, and feverish at the same time. And I said, hey, we need to go to the hospital. Get up. And she's like, not moving. And it's one of those things, I got to pick her up. I got to get her in the car. And we got to carry her to the hospital. She can't get there on her own. In like fashions, we're going to talk about some paralytics, people that are paralyzed. Some people literally have no physical means to get to Jesus on their own. You ever been too sick to go to school or to work or to practice? You ever been so sick or crippled maybe that you couldn't even get somewhere on your own? If the sick couldn't bring themselves, I ask you, who brought them to Jesus? Verse 35 says, the men of that place recognized him and they brought to him all who were sick. You see the healthy, the healthy ones were the ones that brought the sick. And again, I'm touching on it now. We're going to expand on that a little bit later. So please just keep that in the back of your head. But there's another passage you should know in the book of Mark where the healthy also brought the sick. Mark chapter 2 says this. When Jesus had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even in the door, and he was speaking the word to them. So Jesus is in a house doing a Bible study, teaching. He is the word, giving the Bible study. And people clamored in to hear him. And the room was packed, the door was packed, the line out the door was packed, there's a ring around the house was packed, no way to get to him. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, four healthy guys, brought 
a paralytic, that is a paralyzed person, somebody that couldn't move to Jesus, being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. I read over this so quickly, but sometimes I forget what it would take in terms of just four guys with a plank of wood, which probably weighs a, a couple hundred pounds maybe on its own, a man on top of it, another couple hundred pounds, four ropes, trying to maneuver that up a rooftop without this man falling off of it. It's not like just a simple little pail you can climb up. Then what it takes to dig through a roof. And then lower, have you ever tried lowering a rope that has a couple hundred pounds on it, the burns? Their hands were no doubt bleeding after this. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. And it probably looks something like this. I like this because it shows the wood. You know, it wasn't like they were living in these straw huts back then. They had real construction. They lived in roofs that could weather storms. There's broken beams they had to get through to lower this man. They didn't have to lower an opening. They had to lower an opening. It says in verse 6, if you go on, it says, But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. After a man has been lowered from the roof, and Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven you. Scribes are like, What? Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Exactly. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning this, that way within themselves, he said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And the man got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. And so again, we're touching on it, the idea that the healthy brought the sick. We come back to that. We're going to move on right now to verse 36. But I promise you I'm coming back. Verse 36 says, They implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were cured. The idea of touching the fringe of his cloak. I, I tell you, there's also a previous passage in Matthew. It talks about another one who reached out to touch the fringe of Jesus' cloak. It says here in Matthew 9, three verses here, it says, And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years, that is, she was just bleeding nonstop for 12 years, came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If, only touch, if, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. I tell you what, glory, compassion, empathy, love, and power had to flow from Jesus that even just the touch of the hem of his garment would heal someone. But I'll tell you this passage, these three verses show you one simple truth about sickness. There's one simple truth about sickness is that God can heal. God can absolutely heal. There's no doubt about that. God can heal. 
Okay, and I'm gonna give you, it's not an exhaustive list. It's not the list even of the whole Bible. I'm gonna give you, because you know, there's Old Testament healings with Naaman who was a leper. There's other um, healings in the book of Acts where the apostles go out and heal a bunch of people. This is just Jesus. Jesus in the gospels without the overlaps. This is, again, not all of them, but a bunch of times that Jesus healed people. I've got the scripture reference next to it if you wanna just um, remember that or look it up later online, but it'll be there. You can look it up. But Jesus heals a leper. He healed the centurion's servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Healed, it says, all who were ill. Healed two demon-possessed men. He healed the paralytic. We just read that. Healed the bleeding woman. Read that. Healed blind men. Healed the mute demon-possessed man. Healed, it says, every kind of disease and sickness in the area. He healed the man with the withered hand. He healed the demon-possessed man that was blind and mute. He healed the daughter with the unclean spirit. He healed the lame, the crippled, the blind, the mute, all those in that land. He healed the son who was demon-possessed. He healed, it says, a large crowd. Jesus healed two blind men. He healed the man with the unclean spirit. He healed Jairus' daughter from the dead. He healed the woman that couldn't stand straight. He healed the man with dropsy. He healed 10 lepers. Remember, one came back and gave him thanks. Nine others were like, we'll take it. He healed Malchus's ear. Malchus is the name of the guard when they came and Jesus betrayed him with a kiss in the garden. And Peter said, no way, you're not taking my Jesus. And he chops off his ear. And Jesus is like, Peter, calmate. And he puts his ear back on. <laughs> Jesus healed royal official's son. He healed the man that was ill for 38 years. He healed the man born blind. He healed Lazarus from the dead. And if you remember, Lazarus was like dead, dead. He was four days in the grave dead. He was, they said, the, Jesus, the body's starting to stink dead. I tell you what, every single one of those people, and I researched this, I triple checked, every single one of these people had exactly one thing in common. And I love looking for commonalities, common threads. What do they have in common? What can we learn from this? They all had exactly one thing in common. You know what that is? They all died. Every single one of those people died. Every single person that Jesus healed eventually died. Even those he rose from the dead ended up dying again. Lazarus is dead. He died. Again. So then what was the purpose of the healing? You see, Jesus' healing pointed to something greater than just a physical healing. Physical healing pointed to Jesus' ability to provide a spiritual healing. Hear me now, I say that again. Jesus' physical healings pointed to his ability to provide a spiritual healing. The miracle of healing is that he pointed to that greater miracle, that God's only son came down to die on a cross for our sins and rise again to give you life. That's what he's pointing to in himself. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 through 8. We're going to read this again. I'm going to highlight one of the verses. This is the same passage we looked at in Luke, but it's from a different gospel, and it, it kind of fast-forwards to the fact that they tore open the roof. But this is the lowering of the paralytic. The same 
thing that we read, but again, in a different gospel, okay? Two perspectives of the same event. It says, getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. They brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, how this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you know, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up, and he went home. The crowds then saw this, and they were awestruck, and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. And you see, it's that verse 6 right there. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, says to the man that can't walk, the, the paralyzed man, he says, get up and pick up your bed and go home. I'm going to perform this miracle of healing so that you may know when I proclaim to have the ability to forgive sins, that's who I am. The physical healing was, and he states it himself, to point to his ability to provide a spiritual healing. Do you see it? He says it himself. So here's the question then. If God can heal, because again, that's one simple truth. We said God can heal. We looked at a whole list. If God can heal, let's get real with questions for a second. Why doesn't God physically heal everyone? Understand, please, God's goal isn't for everyone to be physically well. God can actually sometimes use sickness, disease, injury, cancer, whatever it may be, for his glory. 2 Corinthians 12 is a story that Paul tells. Paul says he had a vision. It says he had a vision of the third heaven, the first heaven being uh, the sky, the, you know, just the, um, the clouds in the sky is what the descriptive language was back then. The second heaven being above that would, would have been your, your moon and the sun and the stars. The third heaven was always described as the place where God dwells. It's above all of that, right? So first heaven, sky, second heaven, stars. Third heaven is like, that's the house of God. That's how he describes it, okay? So Paul said, I had a vision of the third heaven. And he's going to describe to us in these next couple of verses, like, you know what? I was tempted to be like, hey, well, I saw something. That means I am something. I saw something. Let me, let me tell you, I saw something pretty cool. God gave me a glimpse of the third heaven. And then he says, you know what? But I ended up getting sick, and it made me really humble that maybe I'm not all that. Maybe I'm, I'm just Saul, but by God's grace, I'm Paul. Maybe that's all who I am. And so he says it right here. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, again, that's the vision of heaven, God's throne. He says, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, some physical ailment that we don't necessarily understand. He says, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. He prayed earnestly, Lord, you are great. You are God. You are awesome. You are powerful. I know you can heal. And he says, he cried out three times, Lord, heal me. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, Paul said, so that the power of Christ 
may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. When I'm weak, he's saying, I know that it's not me. I know that the things and the miracles that are happening through me, Paul says, is God working through me. So God used sickness in Paul's life to humble him so that he could know where his true strength was coming from, from the Lord. I'm going to give you a couple examples that hit a little closer to home for me. This is a man, he's a dear friend of mine. Some of you know him. This is a man named Jim Hundermark. He's not with us anymore. He's at home with the Lord. But Jim Hundermark, uh, in his last many years of life, he had kidney failure. Both his kidneys had just had gone bad. And so he had to do a thing called dialysis. And many times in the evenings, I would see Jim, and he'd say, yeah, I just came from dialysis. And at one point, I had no idea what kidney failure was. I had no idea what dialysis was. I'd seen dialysis centers popping up. I didn't know what I just had. Not knowing something, I always ask, hey, Jim, I have no idea. What's dialysis like? And he says, well, you know, you go to this room, and he described this. You go to a room, it's got a chair, and you sit down, and they hook you up to a machine, and, um, you know, your blood kind of circulates, they clean it, and you're there for about eh, four, sometimes five hours. My response to Jim was like, that sounds terrible. You mean you're sitting there in a chair, and there's like this vampiric machine that sucks out your blood, spits it through machine, and spits it back into you, and you're in the stuck there for four. I said, how often do you have to go? He's like, ah, two, three times a week. I'm like, Jim, that's terrible, man. I'm so sorry. And he's like, nope. I said, what? And he said something. (laughs) I said it before up here, but it changed my life. He said, no way. It's not terrible at all. I said, what do you mean? He said, man, I love it. I've got a captive audience. I said, what do you mean, Jim? He said, man, you know, it's one of those ideas where he's like, I'm not stuck in here. They're stuck in here with me kind of attitudes. He's like, man, I've got people to my left and to my right, and I've got nurses and doctors and people checking on me, and for hours, they can't go anywhere when I tell them about Jesus. (laughs) And he understood, amen. He understood he was a missionary to the dialysis center. He understood that multiple times a week he'd have an audience that couldn't go anywhere. And he said, you have no idea the amount of hope that I'm bringing to a place that seems so hopeless. I said, Jim, man, that's the deepest, that's the heaviest thing I've heard, man, forever. Thanks for sharing that. He went home to be with the Lord. But I'm grateful for the legacy he left in each of the people's lives and dialysis that he touched and in people like my life that he's touched and my family. The Estrada family here I know knows and loves Jim Hundermark and their family. There's another man here I want to tell you about. This man here, some of you have met him too. That's my dad. That's another Jim. That's Jim Moo. That's my dad. That's his wife, my mom, Hetty. That's their, great, that's their granddaughter, my daughter, Grace. This is Cultural Appreciation Day at her preschool, Stonebridge. He's my dad's full Chinese. I'm half Chinese. Makes my daughter Grace quarter Chinese, so she gets to wear those things. Um, and this was taken around August, uh, sorry, sorry, around 2014. Okay, so this is a, a picture 10 years old, roughly. Okay, 2014. About a year and a half later, this picture was taken. This is my dad in August of 2016. My dad suffered from a disease, and it hit very quickly. Um, here's how it went from my perspective. I just get a call one day in the middle of August, around August um, 20th or so. David, 
Dad's sick from my brother. Get home. It's not looking good. Doctors are saying it's not good. And there, he's from Hawaii, so I had to, I'm born and raised there, so I flew back to Hawaii the next flight. My wife helped me pack up my bags, say goodbye to the kids. Uh, I, I flew back alone just to go back and, and say hi to my dad. Hopefully hi, I didn't know I was saying bye. I land there on August 24th. He, he, this, this was the picture taken that day. And that was a Wednesday, I get there. Wednesday he's there. I sit by his bedside for a couple days. Again, doctors are monitoring things. They're saying it's not looking well. He's got tubes in all kinds of places in his arms and his wrist and his lungs and his nose and his throat. He's got tubes everywhere, beepings everywhere, as you can imagine. Pancreatitis is a disease that he got after decades and decades of really heavy drinking. One of those diseases that he brought, if you could say, to himself. But I'm sitting there on a Friday night, Friday, August 26th. I'll never forget it. And I'm sitting there with my, my dad, my mom's in a chair on the other side. And I say, hey, dad, you know where I'd be right now if I wasn't here with you in the hospital? And he said, where? I said, I'd be at a thing called the Harvest Crusade in California. It'd be at Angel Stadium. He's like, yeah? And I said, hey, dad, one of the cool things is um, it's actually broadcast live, and they're streaming it right now. And I, again, I, I'd be there if I wasn't with you. Uh, would you maybe want to watch it with me? He said, sure. And I prefaced, I said, hey, you know, it's, gonna, it's, like a, it's like a Christian thing, I said. It's going to be like a little concert. It's going to be a little message. It should be over pretty quick. You want to watch it? And he's like, yeah, okay. So in that hospital room, pulled up a little tray, opened up my laptop, started streaming it, picked it up in the middle of one of the For King and Country songs. Then after the For King and Country was done, the music was done, as you know, Pastor Greg Laurie came up there at Angel Stadium, and he gave a very simple gospel message. Very simply, he said, you know what? You need to repent of your sins. You need to turn from your sin. You need to turn to Jesus. You need to receive his forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy in your life and make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. And then, as you know, Pastor Greg Laurie, he gives the invitation. He, he just opens up the, the gates in the outfield and says, anybody wants to come on down, you come on down to the grass in the outfield. And it's about that point when I just lowered the lid of the laptop and I said, all right, Dad, that's it. I said, so what'd you think? He blinked and a tear came down his right side. And he said, it all makes sense. And I said, oh yeah, what's that? He said, all of it just makes sense. I said, well, what do you mean it makes sense? He's like, I get it now. And then I just recapped for Pastor Greg Loris. I said, you mean you get the fact that the Bible says that we're all sinners and we fall short of God's glory? He's like, yeah. You get that that sin separates you from God, that right now in your sin, you're separate from God. He's like, yeah. And I'm and just making sure he fully understood. You understand then that Jesus bridged the gap? That's his death on the cross. Your sins are put onto Jesus. You get that, right? Jesus wants to take your sin away. He wants to forgive you. He wants to wipe the slate clean. But dad said, yeah, another tear's coming down. I said, well, you heard him give an invitation. I know you can't go there right now, but is this something that you'd like to receive? I said, would you like to receive God's free gift of salvation? You can't do anything. You can't add to it. Do you want to do that? He said, I do. I grabbed his hand. I said, hey, let's pray. And we prayed. And I want you to understand this. God used sickness to put a pause button on my dad's life. You see, all the, his, his, his business, 
his family, his lifestyle, the drinking, the golfing, the cigars, all the things that make up my dad's identity, they were just on pause as he's sitting there in a, what ended up being his deathbed, contemplating his mortality, open to hearing the gospel. He said it was like the veil was lifted and it all made sense. And it's interesting because I spent the entire plane ride, the entire night before, and all the days up to that Harvest Crusade praying that he would be healed. Oh, Lord, healed my dad. He needs more time. Give him, he needs to just, just heal my dad up. Give me another five. I asked for 10. By faith, I asked for 20 more years. Within a couple of weeks of that Harvest Crusade in September, he passed on that exact same bed with that exact same pillow behind him, slipping in and out of comas, he, he perished, and he went home to be with the Lord. And I, I think about how God uses, whether it be Jim Hundermark's life, Jim Moo's life, how God can use sickness and disease for his glory. There's this verse here in 2 Peter 3. It talks about God's desire above all for spiritual healing. It says here in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Even, I think some of the young ones in this room today will know this verse. It says in John 3, 16 and 17, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 17, we don't all memorize. It says, for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through him. You see, that's the goal of God. Repentance, salvation, that is God's simple goal. And so he used it in Jim Hundermark's life. He used sickness. He used in Jim Moo's life sickness. But here's a good question, right? If God works in sickness, and I just gave you examples in Paul's life, Jim's life, Jim's life, but if God works in sickness, should we then pray for healing? Yes, we should pray for healing. We should still pray for healing. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verses 13, 14, it says this, it says, is anyone among you suffering? He must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let, he must call then for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We are to pray for the sick out of obedience to God's word, absolutely. But then, here's a good question. How do we pray for healing? How do we pray for healing? And I love that we've got all ages in here because it doesn't matter if you're, if you're four or 94, you should understand how we pray for healing. We pray as it says in James 1, 6, it says, we must ask, and the context of this was asking for wisdom, but it obviously fits in the context of asking anything for God in prayer. It says, we must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. We should have no doubt about the power of God to heal. 
I gave you the list, almost exhaustive list. Lepers, paralytics, blind men, the mute, the lame, those who can't walk, those who are crippled over, those with leprosy. God can heal. When you pray, you pray with absolute certainty that God can heal. He can do it. There's no doubt that the maker of heaven and earth, the one who's proven it, that he can, in fact, heal again. But please understand when we pray, yes, God can, but he taught us how to pray. Don't forget that. Jesus taught us how to pray. He said in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, this is, he says, I'm going to teach you all how to pray. He said here, he says, then Jesus taught us how to pray. He said, pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Which means we're just talking to our dad. We crowd Abba, Father, as we talked about last week. We crowd Abba. You are holy, we say. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's right there in verse 10. We are to pray, your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And notice where the order of operations here. Verse 10, in terms of priority, is before verse 11. Which means, before we cry out to God for our earthly physical needs to be met, we cry out and proclaim over us and over those we're praying for, God's will to be done. So yes, we're to ask for our physical needs, for the healing, for the daily bread, for those things. But what trumps that always is God, your will be done. And Jesus again exemplified this the best. In Luke chapter 22, this is just moments before Jesus took the cross. Moments before his flesh is about to get ripped from his body. Moments before a crown of thorns is pressed into his skull. Before he's slapped and spit upon. Jesus withdrew from them about a stone's throw. He knelt down, it says, and he began to pray. And he says, saying, Father, if it's your will and you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, he said, but yours be done. He says here, before the nails go through his wrists and his feet, he cries out and said, God, if there's any other way, and the cup he's talking about, he's about to drink the cup of God's wrath. That is, the wrath of God, the judgment towards sin, is going to be poured out upon the spotless lamb, the one who took your sin and my sin on himself. That wrath of God's going to go upon him. And that separation from the Holy Father, for the first time ever, is going to happen in Jesus' life. He said, God, is there any other way? This is going to be brutal. Yet not my will, your will be done. And he teaches us, so he cries out for things, like we cry out for things. If it's, I cried out, if there's any way you can heal my dad. Yet not my will, 
your will be done. If my dad had gotten better from the moment I prayed in the plane and he had just ripped the tubes out of his arm and said, ha ah, I'm back. Um, I don't know that he has an encounter with Jesus at the Harvest Crusade. Not my will, Lord, yours be done. But I'll tell you what, we pray by faith when we pray for healing. The Bible says we should pray and, and we the promises of God over us. We know that God causes all things, it says, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Job chapter one says this, it says, this is Job's attitude again. This is Job after he had the sores on his body, after his entire family and his belongings and possessions have been wiped out, Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, he said, the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how we pray in sickness. We pray, God, I, I trust you're still gonna work all things together for good. I trust and I cry out for your will to be done. I'm being obedient, as it says in James, to pray for healing. But Lord, no matter what, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give, you take away. And there is good news, though, when it comes to healing. Please understand this. When it comes to healing, um, the best news ever, um, and I, I simply took this one verse in the NIV version, because this is how I, that was the first version of the Bible I had, and it's, it's my favorite verse, and this is how I learned it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. There's a day coming when our lowly bodies get transformed. Revelation 21 puts it this way. It says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death, no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. If healing is what you desire, hold on a little bit longer. By God's word, I stand and I proclaim the promise to you. Healing is coming. Your lowly body will be, by God's grace, with faith put in Jesus, transformed to be like his glorious body. And the day coming when every tear is wiped away, all the pain and all the suffering are just gone. It's coming. And here's the three verses we just went through. I, it's rewritten here in the New King James Version. And this is where I got the the title of, the, um, of the, the teaching today. Verse 36 says, And begged him that might not only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched it were made perfectly well. And I love that how it puts it there, because not just cured, because cured makes me, reminds me of that physical healing, but it reminds me in the New King James Version, it just has that made perfectly well, it's speaking to something that's greater than the physical healing, is it not? It's speaking to the perfectly well, that spiritual healing that he offers. I want you to understand this, though. They had to reach out and touch the hem. The woman who was bleeding for years, she had to 
reach out and touch. You see, again, we talked about in Jesus, all that was needed for the healing was there. The power, the compassion, the glory, the healing ability was in the person of Jesus Christ. That even just his clothes emanated it, but they still had to reach out. And understand that physical and spiritual healing are both, they work the same way. You have to reach out. You see, Jesus has done it all. For physical healing, we showed he did it all. For spiritual healing, 2,000 years ago, he also did it all. He came, born of a virgin, lived the perfect life, died as a perfect spotless lamb of God on the cross, rose again the third day to give us life. Jesus has done it all, and it's wrapped up like a perfect Christmas gift just for you to have to reach out, though, and make yours. Because that gift is nothing if you just stand here and say, nope. You've got to reach out and touch the hem of the garment. You've got to reach out and touch that gift. And then you've got to cling to that gift and hold on to it like it's forever yours, because it is. And the Bible says the best thing, nothing can separate you from it. Height, depth, wars, famine, sword, nothing, 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 no nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ at that point. And so I tell you, you got to reach out. I told you that was my last thought, and, and worship team, if you're, um, if you're ready, please come on up. The last thought we have for the day is this. I told you I'd come back to it. It says that the men of that place, that is the healthy ones, brought to him all who were sick, those who couldn't bring themselves. Because I've been talking to the sick at this point, the sick that need physical healing, we are to pray for it. We're by faith to trust in God and his ability to heal. We're by faith to say, Lord, but your will be done no matter what. I'm going to give you glory and blessed be your name no matter what. I trust you're working it together for good. That's to those who are physically sick. To those spiritually sick, I, I tell you what, you need to grab the gift. You need to also reach out and touch the hem of the garment and get a piece of Jesus for yourself. But I'm at church on a Sunday and I know there's a lot of believers here and those of you who may be even physically and spiritually well and so I'm talking to you now because this verse is packed for stuff for us today. And the final thought I want to leave you this is that they brought to him all who were sick, which means that the, the understanding for us is we've got a responsibility to start to bring those who are sick. And I may bring those who are sick. I mean, do you understand the effort that those men went through? They carried a man what could have been a mile or two on a plank of wood they hoisted him up without dropping him onto a roof. And then with their bare hands, they beat through a bunch of wood planks and straw and they dug, it says, they scrapped their nails and they didn't care. A bunch of people outside are like, hey, keep it down. The guy's teaching in there, like, we don't care. We need to get to him. Our buddy needs him. And they clawed and they scraped and they pounded through for their friend. They bashed through boards with their bare knuckles to lower their buddy down with the rope burns that no doubt were there and lowering him down and their hands gushing and bleeding and said it was all worth it. Bunch of people, even other believers telling them, what are you doing? Keep it down up there. You're distracting us. And they didn't care. And I ask you just to think about it. May God's spirit just be upon you as you consider and ponder who are the sick that you know are sick in your life? The coworkers, the family, the neighbors, on the sports teams, 
Those people who you know need Jesus. Because it's upon us as the healthy to bring the sick, to get over ourselves, to step out in faith. And this, this isn't a church. This is a hospital. You can bring them here. You can bring them to the Harvest Crusade. You can one-on-one bring them to Jesus, however you want to do it. But we need to start bringing them to Jesus. That's our call. So I tell you, you're sick, you're healthy. There's something here for you today. We're going to worship God now. I pray, and if you are sick, if you're physically sick, if you need physical healing, we always have. We've got uh, men and women up here at the stage. You go to who you feel comfortable with. We will be up here to pray with you. We will be obedient to God's word. We will pray over you God's will to be done. We will stand on the promises of his word that he is a God who can heal. And if it's his will, we will pray that over you. At the same time, we will tell God, blessed be your name and trust that he's working it all together for good. And if you need Jesus, you need that spiritual healing, we're up here as well. Any one of us, just pick somebody. We'll be there for you. We can explain it again. And again, if you're healthy and you need God's boldness, you need the faith to step out and just start inviting people. It's how I got saved. A 14-year-old boy named Jeremy invited a 15-year-old boy named David and said, just come to my church. I came and heard the gospel for the first time. Gave my life to the Lord. He didn't do anything but just say, hey, you want to come tonight? It works. It works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are good. I do pray right now, Lord, on the promise of your word, and I'm talking to, I know, the Father who's the same, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the one who was and is and is to come, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can heal. You raised Lazarus from the dead, and you made blind to see and lame to walk. And so my faith is absolutely in you, God, that you can heal. Anybody here tonight who's sick needs a healing touch, Lord, I pray that you would please heal them. Lord, if it's your will, please, Lord, if you've got other plans and you want to use that sickness to minister to a dialysis center or to a, a, a cancer doctor's waiting room, or you want to use them to minister to nurses or doctors or, or a support group of like symptoms or cause, whatever it may be, Lord, your will be done. I give that ultimately to you. But I know that you can do it if you want. But I also trust that your plans are bigger than mine, that your ways are greater than mine. My ways are not your ways, and your ways are not my ways. And so, Lord, I just give it to you. If anybody here needs spiritual healing, Lord, I pray today would be the day of salvation. I pray now would be the appointed time that they would not go into 2024 separated from you by their sin, that they'd give it over to Jesus and trade it for his forgiveness, his mercy and grace, trusting that his blood washes it all away and makes us white as snow. And for us healthy, Father, again, I just pray, please, Lord, I need boldness. I need to quit being a coward, quite frankly, Lord. I need to quit, like, hiding behind excuses. I need to start caring about some people around me. So give me your heart. Give me your compassion. And give me your love for these people, that I might be your hands and feet to bring them to you. So, Lord, we give this day to you, and we worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.